0: Foodie.
1: From the Not a Foodie Studio in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn, it's the Not a Foodie Show on Radio Rampa six twenty a.m. Hey, Mike. Hey, <laughs> that's Mike Moranti over there, and I am Tom Miali, and we are your co-hosts. Mike. Yes, sir. It's been, been a week in uh, food news.
2: <laughs> what a week it's been.
1: <laughs> so, I I want to talk about um I want to talk about the the that tipping video
2: that we'll talk about. You know what? Let's do
1: a whole nother segment on that yeah. tipping video that's that's ridiculous? I want to talk about that. Um, I you texted me the other day. I have a I have a great story that I wanted to discuss with you. And then you texted me the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, we need to discuss." So, what did you what did you talk to me about?
2: This Chinese food restaurant <laughs> that, like, <laughs> quote unquote. I don't even know the name of it. I, I oh just, you don't know the name of it? It's I I looked at it. Oh. I told you. I texted you, and then I like put it away because it was infuriating. Oh, to me. so I was gonna
1: so. I was not going to do any research cuz I wanted you to tell me about it but it seems like you didn't do your research. I don't,
2: Tom. Really? <laughs> How long have we been doing the show now?
1: So, <laughs> I go off of natural ability. <laughs> you were going to talk for 10 minutes on this thing that I saw that I said, "You know what? I'm I mean, just going to put it away."
2: I know I, I could I could still do it. You could just be quiet for the next 8 minutes. I got this.
1: I think that's physically impossible for me to be <laughs> quiet about this about this story in particular, yeah. but about most but, so why did you set it up? What What did you say?
2: A white woman opened up a Chinese restaurant and marketed it as healthy Chinese food, not no, greasy, no, dirty yeah, Chinese food. Yeah, they called it
1: clean Chinese food.
2: No, and like, but didn't do it by talking their own stuff up, did it by talking down an entire... I, you know, <laughs> I, I so I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go that far.
1: Really? I would say that... Um, She uh, she absolutely made many, many missteps. Um, But all of the things that she wrote about were just implications about, like, the racist stereotypes about Chinese food. Like how that
2: it's not clean. Yeah. You know, when you call yourself clean Chinese food, like, what's not clean about Chinese food? Before we go into this any further, I want to say I'm all about people cooking food from other ethnicities. Yeah. And, like, owning it. There's a way to, like, do it respectfully, and there's a way to do it, like, this yes. Was, like, All right. I, I made Korean food for dinner last night. I texted Jean and told her what I made. She asked me for pictures. Right. Jean yeah. Lee
1: is our Korean food
2: expert, right? Yeah. yeah. And like I I'm not going in like I mean, ruining I'm, it. Like I'm yeah. I'm respecting it. I'm doing like traditional dishes
1: and like. No. But listen, if you were a nice Jewish boy from New York that decided to open up an Italian restaurant called Mama Leone's, and say that it's better than Italian food because it has nothing to do with the mafia. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's that's what
2: this is. Yeah. So exactly. she
1: named her place, and this you're gonna hate her even more. She na- the name of the place is Lucky Lee's. Yeah. And, well, you know,
2: P.F. Chang's is a white guy. His name's Paul mm- Fleming.
1: Uh, that's not true. That's not true. It's the the woman. What what is her name? It he's one of the business partners, but the it's the son of someone who was like one of the first Chinese restaurant owners in San Francisco. Yes, okay. so it's it is one of the best. but they named it after that. Like, <laughs> no, okay. no, no, Chang is still part of the <laughs> <laughs> um, of the name. But yeah, no, so it's um, like it's me opening up a Jewish deli and it, calling it. Um, I don't know, like implying that there's some stereotype about it. So, like, we don't hey, cheap
2: out on it. Yeah, we don't yeah. cheap out on it. It's Tom. Yeah, we're gonna call not it, gonna Jew you down on this one. Like. Yeah,
1: exactly. We're gonna call it Tommy Mialowitz's um, <laughs> Jewish deli, and we don't cheap out on the meat. Like mm-hmm. that's sort of what this is all about. Like, there's implications that you know regular Chinese food. Chinese food, by the way, there are more Chinese restaurants in the United States than there are McDonald's. Like, yeah, there are Chinese sense. restaurants everywhere and they're staples of communities and i mean for we talked about this a little bit before like there used to be that was a a big deal to have really nice chinese restaurants Sit down in the 50s chinese and chinese restaurants yeah.
2: were they that's where the lazy susan was invented
1: yeah i mean that's uh, the the poopoo platter and all yeah. of that stuff yeah and uh, it's uh, that that is uh, it had they haven't progressed or it hasn't progressed mostly because people look at it um Racism. You know, there's a lot of racist, racism around it. So, like, you talk about, um, like, racism David Chang. is a big theme on yeah, this. Yeah, right? <laughs> we talk about David Chang and his, like, crusade against, uh, the, the stigma against MSG. Like, mm-hmm. MSG is in everything. But people associated with Chinese food. Do you know what QP mayo is? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I love QP mayo. Yeah, I have it's it mayo at
2: all. with MSG in it. It's yeah. the best thing ever. I mean,
1: MSG is monosodium glutamate. It's salt and, um, these uh, amino acids. Mm-hmm. And that's it, in powder form. It was invented in Japan as like a dashi paste. That's what dashi is. It's it's MSG. And it's it was supposed to like be a flavor bomb for your vegetables. And it is. It's a great flavor bomb. But in the United States, um people started, oh MSG is this weird unknown thing, so it's bad. And like yeah. oh Chinese food gives me a headache because of the MSG. Like But that, they eat Doritos. Yeah, that bag of Doritos didn't give you a headache. You know, like that that has more MSG than the Chinese food that you mm-hmm. have. And Kewpie mayo and Cool Ranch dressing is filled with MSG. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, MSG is not something that's healthy for you, but it's not as, you know, it's not this mysterious ingredient. Anyway, so, yes, I know what you're saying about Lucky Lees. <laughs> um, so,
2: but, yeah, she she um, posted something like dim some or lose some, like, really just, like, uh, offensive, like, ridiculous.
1: I, look, and like I said, I don't think that stuff is, I don't think it's so crazy- I mean, I I don't know. I think people go a little bit far on that stuff with the food appropriation. Um, I'm all for, like you said, cooking other people's cultures and exploring culture through food. When you pass it off with weird little stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Like that, when you- It's like a
2: Simpsons episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, the trouble with Apu, right? Like it's, when you when you, I think just naming or describing your food as, it's Chinese food except it's clean. I mean, mm-hmm.
2: that implies that Chinese food is greasy and gross and dirty. Uh, and some
1: of it, yeah, it is. But also some burgers are greasy and
2: gross and dirty, and, you know? Like, I saw on Twitter, if someone was like, if she went and it's like, this is gluten-free Chinese food. Or like, this is... Uh, all organic, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nothing like, fr- air fried or what, whatever yes. they're doing. Like, if you just went and, like, talked about it positively instead of comparing it and making it, like, you're comparing yeah. it to something bad is awful. Also, like, I mean... I, calling it
1: Lucky Lees is a little bit weird for me. That's oh, it's stupid. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That I think is weird. I've got a I've got a feel good story though. Oh, it's good. not really a feel good story oh.
0: actually. I just oh. thought it was an. We
1: only a story. couple of minutes left. So <laughs> it's um. So I, my wife is part of this uh, text group, and I I have to give a shout out to my friend Jolie who sent this article to her and had her in stitches, and I asked her to send it to me, um, and I just read it today because I wanted to be like completely fresh on my mind. So have you heard the story about Princess the Pig in, in Northern California? No. Okay. So Princess the Pig is a pig from Northern California. Okay. She went missing from uh-huh. her home on March 23rd. Um, she was later spotted in her neighbor's yard, and the neighbor posted uh, something on Facebook saying, you know, is this your pig? Um, so after the pig was found, the police department arrived on the scene um, to of Princess's home. and they they basically were trying to find the the pig and you know they asked the nearby neighbor if he could keep princess in his gated yard while they were looking for the owner so you know go to this person's house the person said yes we'll keep the pig um the neighbor agreed the police went out they found the owner when the police came back to the house to get the pig um the pig was being butchered in the driveway.
2: No, the pig
1: was slaughtered and was being butchered what? in the driveway. Not by the person who said that. Oh, hold it! Not by the not by the neighbor who said that they would take care of it. But by someone else who was staying at the house and just saw this pig and decided, I don't know, like I this pig must be for dinner. <laughs>
2: oh my God, so this this person had no idea that poor princess the pig and now I'm vegan
1: <laughs> Princess the pig was somebody's pet the neighbor very nicely and
2: and the article is hysterical because the pigs articles... are like super smart too they're like good they're like really good animal I mean there's quotes.
1: like she's very sweet the owner told the the newspaper she's not aggressive she likes to be around people too bad she's delicious yeah.
2: I mean, Actually I wonder, she probably not that delicious. I have no idea. I have no idea. But like 'cause when when you buy meat from the butcher, these animals are raised to be like fat and fatty and delicious. Yes. I don't know. And this is like a pet pig who like is on
1: a four hundred pound pig is not that big of a pig. Like that's not a slaughtering pig. Like that's a I I don't know. I when I do a pig roast, I get like a two hundred pound pig and that's a that's a tiny pig. Yeah, it's a baby it. pig. Um but yeah, so <laughs> I thought that this was just a create first of all that this is like the norm for the police to be like hey we see on Facebook that you got your friends North California like, northern California it's a very in Humboldt County I think it is is it like
2: almost like um the Pacific Northwest like that far up because I, I, if you told me that that story happened in like Oregon
1: I'd be like oh that yeah, makes sense yeah I mean it's got to be up there it's it's in an area where there's just a lot of agriculture so yeah. I mean it's, Cause, it's like, common enough for the police to find pigs on I, Facebook yeah. and say hey can you watch your neighbor's pig
2: and like I've never had a house guest that can just like butcher a pig
1: like, <laughs> that's I've never stayed at your house.
2: <laughs> no, you you've never butchered an alive pig.
1: I've never I've never slaughtered a pig. I've yeah. butchered a pig before. I've never I've yeah I've never slaughtered a pig. I've been around pigs that were slaughtered, but I've never slaughtered one myself. Um, which I don't know. There goes my my butcher credibility.
2: <laughs> Harlem Shambles, the butcher by me. Yep. On when they get uh, their pig delivery in, they just literally have like not basket like uh, truckloads of just. Pig carcasses in in like you can see it through the window. Yeah, just all these dead pigs just hanging out of uh, oh a big my God. basket. It's uh, awesome.
1: I'm um so I had a I had a house guest this this past summer. Um, he did not slaughter a pig, but he was staying with me the night before. Um, my father's my father had his big birthday party, and mm-hmm. he said he wanted a pig roast. So we did. But I roasted a pig and I made a paella. And but I had to pick up the pig. The night or the morning after my house guest was there, and he is um, a friend of mine from Australia who can drink his face off, as Aussies do. Right, so we went out, and I was extremely hungover. And I can tell you with extreme certainty that the last place on earth you want to be when you are that hungover is a a slaughterhouse to pick up a dead pig. Oh my god, it was the worst, and I'm having like flashback like heaves right now.
2: Uh. So. Just right. and hey, we got, a, we got
1: a great show for you. That's <laughs> on that note.
2: Yeah, stick around. Uh, my buddy, Zach Rose, he's a sake expert, cocktail guy. He's going to be here. Um, next time, we talk about tipping and why yeah, you Yeah, we, we definitely it. have to talk about tipping. Mm-hmm. All right.
1: Well, this is the Not a Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. We'll be back in a minute. Hey Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint,
2: Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio.
1: The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture.
2: It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If
1: you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session tell them that the not a foodie show sent you and i'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount bk media studio in the heart of greenpoint brooklyn
2: right next to the g train
1: brooklyn's most convenient studio and we are back with the not a foodie show on radio Rappa 6:20 a.m at not a foodie show on twitter at not a foodie show on instagram we're all over the place Hi, Mike. Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. It's the Not A Foodie Show, I think. I don't know. Just do a, a search for Not A Foodie or follow us. You know, yeah. we're around. <laughs> Mike, I wanted to talk to you about something uh, that that's is near here. and dear that, to my... your heart.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Tipping. Money.
2: Money. Yes, very near and dear to me. <laughs> yeah. Correct.
1: So um, this week, as happens every week or every day, it seems like, Twitter gets up in arms about something. Um, so CNBC uh, posted out this video about you know how to save
2: Four dollars.
1: Yeah, how to save four hundred dollars a year? Um, you know, it's it's a money hack, right? Um, of how to save money throughout the year when you're going out dining. And their whole it, it was a really silly little two minute video about um, if you tip based on your pre tax total as opposed to your post tax total, <laughs> um, you're gonna save. You know, and you go out once a you know once a week for dinner. You're gonna save four hundred dollars a year doing that. Um, I, I I like Twitter went crazy, rightfully so. I mean, my whole thing is if you're gonna tell people that they need to save money, don't tell them to stiff workers. Like tell them not to go out to eat yeah. once a week. Learn or, listen like...
2: to the Not a Foodie Show. <laughs> ask us questions about cooking, learn a life skill. Right. And tip your servers correct. Um But like it's that, it was it was crazy. And I yeah, like, it's I, I wanna
1: like really delve into tipping.
2: Yeah. So I have a lot to say. I'm sure you do. Um because I've Worked as a server and manager, and like a lot of my life, I've made money from tips. Mm-hmm. I first off, when people say get a better job, that's an <laughs> absurd <laughs> thing because I probably make more money than you. Um, in New York, and you only yeah. I'm only talking about New York City, right. I can't talk about Biloxi, Mississippi, or like other places, I'm talking about New York City strictly, right? Um, and I also really enjoy what I do. You, you like, I've had a couple of different jobs since I've known you, mm-hmm. and I've been pretty vocal to you about. How I am, how I feel about them, and I don't know if I've been happier than I am right now. No, you
1: could you could tell you are happy. You are working at a place. You are making good money. I
2: I wake up at ten a.m. I go to the gym. I run errands. There is nobody online anywhere. Then I go to work at five p.m. It's it's honestly incredible. You
1: don't have kids, yeah, so you uh, can do that. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I have a dog. Um. So. But but like you you rely on tips. I rely on tips, and 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 everybody does when you work in fine dining. It's not like if I make twenty dollars, it's not like I have to tip out the bartender a percentage, and like that's it twenty my twenty dollars goes into the pool, right, and it's a whole tip pool that's paying servers, bartenders, barbacks, busers, you know everybody, uh, yeah, it's paying 30, 30 people that night, okay twenty nah twenty people
1: and so and if you what what do you have to say to people Food that are or like if you're thinking about um people who are in Biloxi, Mississippi, yeah, like how do they survive because on, on tips? Like I, they...
2: I don't know. Well the, the cost of living's a lot less. Yeah, but um, they're making a lot. They're less. making a lot less. Their server minimum wage is usually like two dollars and thirteen cents. Wow. Um and then people have the because there, there are two
1: there are two separate minimum wages. That's not something that most people know. Yeah, right. Tip like
2: minimum wage in you know, a lot of states is two dollars and thirteen cents, and usually that money just goes to taxes, and they, they don't see any of it.
1: Yeah, I mean that's less than the cost of a you know a Starbucks coffee. Yeah, that's, that's it, what you're getting. It, mm-hmm. yeah, like it's
2: crazy. So you need a higher minimum wage, and you need I I really a, believe a tipping minimum wage, or I'll, I think yeah that that's but yeah. I think uh, all bills should just be mandatory. Auto gratuity,
0: 18%. Yeah? Yeah. That's it? That's
2: it. Unle- yeah, unless there's something really awful with the service that you can, like, contest. In New York City, it's illegal to auto grat now?
1: Auto, to add yeah. the tax on automatically.
2: Or, or add the tip on automatically. Uh, that's what I meant, yeah. Um, But which is crazy, because if I have a table of eight, and their bill is... It, it's going to be at least $400. It's probably going to be $800. I deserve... I gave them $800 worth of service. There's no reason why I don't get $160. So. Well,
1: it's crazy. Like... There, there are so many variables in tipping. Let's, let's take a step back because I want to. Like I looked into this. Oh, wait,
2: uh, go I, ahead. I just want to say one thing about that that squid from CNBC. Um, uh, the, the, not the, the food, the person. Yes. Um, if you, I when I look at how much you tipped, I look at the pre-tax. I look at the just the bill because that's how much money I sold. And okay. The percentage on that. Mm-hmm. I don't. When I tip personally, I tip. I take what the after tax is, and like I do too. If it's like, I don't know. If it's like eighty three dollars, I'll tip sixteen dollars because I figure it's still over twenty yeah. percent and it before tax and whatever else. So it's I mean, like I'm twenty
1: percent after tax. That's yeah. what I do. Uh-huh. Like at least twenty percent after tax. If it's horrible and if the service is horrible, not the food. No, not yeah. if the service is horrible. If the the server was just a real jerk and didn't care about it then that would affect the tip of course um but like if the food is not that great I that doesn't affect my tip because that has nothing to do with my server and, in my opinion
2: and mistakes happen and if your steak is overcooked tell them and have them fire up a new one yes we have said that yeah. multiple
1: times on this yeah. uh, on this show yeah no I mean I but after watching that video I went like I really went back into the history of tipping because I feel like in America we tip like that's it we overtip according to the rest of the world like if you travel the world um, and you know you're given 10% you're looked at as you know amazing that's it's just not done right in america we overtip like and because we underpay yeah. we don't pay
2: our servers anything
1: <laughs> but it didn't start that way like it started so tipping started in in england in the 16th or 17th century um inns and you know, people, overnight guests at, at houses would leave money for servants and things like that. And that sort of went to pubs and inns and coffee shops and things like that, right? Um, it was looked down upon in the United States. Like the US looked down upon it. It was, very, it was thought of as very un-American to tip. Like we are, that's not what we stand for. We stand for um, you know, everybody is equal. There was this inherent inferiority in tipping. When you were tipping someone, it meant that you were, low, that you were above them. Um, that all changed in after the Civil War.
2: Yeah, after slavery was well, abolished. It well,
1: was, it was a couple of different things. So, number one, we were very rich. We were a very rich country at that point. And people of, our, of European backgrounds wanted to show off their wealth. And they started tipping. They adopted this custom from the old country. Um, and at the same time, you had this mass of freed slaves that were flocking to... Low income or low-skilled jobs in cities. So a lot of them ended up working in in restaurants and cooking and things like that. Um, so racist owners of restaurants wanted to not have to pay these people. You know, they exactly. Were, yeah. So yeah. they said, "Well, you know, we're just gonna. You don't get paid. You just get paid with tips." And it, I mean, it was it perpetuated this level of inferiority, like, mm-hmm. I, so I- a
2: racist institution. I was reading this, um, this
1: article from, like, right after, uh, the Civil War, and it was a- Wait, what? Th- yeah, it was a, it was an article <laughs> that, yeah, I went back and did some research.
2: Going <laughs> went back in time.
1: And... I did, I was reading this article, and it was an account of this, um, the, the writer for this newspaper was dining out, and he had a white server, and he felt extremely uncomfortable. And he uses a lot of words that I will not use on the radio to describe people. But, I mean, he basically said that it was fine when a black server would accept a tip from him because, quote, it's a token of their inferiority.
2: Oh, my God. Continue.
1: Continue on. But to give my money to a white man was embarrassing to me. That was and that's his quote right there. And that that has just gone on. And honestly,
2: he Look,
1: we're we're two white dudes like talking about this like, you know, I I'm sure that we don't have the insight that a lot of other people in the in the current day hospitality industry do, but
2: like current day tipping is racist and sexist. Oh, yeah. No, um a million percent white tippers make more tips than yeah, black. Yeah, I ser- think so. White servers make more tips than black. 56%
1: more. That's what this study say. 56% more.
2: Wait. Okay. That but that has to be like
1: 56% more on average. This is
2: another uh Racist institution, but like at, if you're working at higher end places, the tips are usually better, and if you're working at lower end places, the tips are usually worse. Right. And yeah. Yeah.
1: But on average, non-white servers make 56% less than white servers, and it's the same with women. Like, women make less money than men, so if you are a white woman, you statistically, you make less than a white man um, on your tips, and... What's what's crazy about that is women make up the overwhelming majority of servers. Uh-huh. They're like, I think it's like over seventy percent of servers are women. Really? Yes, that's you know in nationally, US, yeah. nationally okay. in the United States. Yeah. So it's it's this crazy uh, like old custom that the U.S. hated, then adopted, and was like, and adopted it, and just like the U.S. does with everything, took it to the extreme because you know that's who we are, and now it's. Like, this old holdover. It's really sexist, really racist, and I don't know that it works. But I have a, but we have a system that is set up. I feel like now I'm on, like, political talk so, radio. Like, we have a system yeah.
2: that is set up. Tipping works in big cities. Yeah. Tipping works in New York City. Tipping works in Las Vegas. Tipping works in Miami, Chicago, D.C. Tipping works in um, uh, tourist trap towns where during the season they make a buttload of money. Right. Tipping works in... A lot of places, but there are places that tipping doesn't work.
1: Well, we, I mean, we've got a system that is, that is set up so that you sort of need tips, right? Mm-hmm. But what would make sense is if it just all went away. Yeah, and just right?
2: paid, had a server minimum wage that was
1: a livable uh, wage. Yeah. Well, know? that's a whole
2: <laughs> thing in itself.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, so what do
2: you think about like no tipping establishments? So it's I like, managed a no tipping establishment. That's right. Yeah. Um, so it was, it, so what Danny Meyer does. Mhm. Danny Meyer pays his whole staff an hourly rate. Right. Depending on their job. Then he takes a percentage of sales and puts that percentage in everyone's paycheck. That's great. So, it's still the idea of like you still want to sell because that way you make more money. Well, you've, you've got a
1: stake in the company. Like, yeah. you've got a stake in sales. Exactly. Right, yeah. So it shows you that, you know, if you work yes. hard and you sell more, then you get more. So in theory, I think that's that's all great. And But there's been a lot of
2: Everybody was blowback, making. Right? So when they first changed to it, everyone's like, okay, you know what? We're going to ride this out. We we trust Danny. We know Danny. We love Danny. He has his our best interests at heart. Um, and people aren't making the same money that they were. Mm-hmm. Danny Meyer's said something along the lines well, of— And
1: just for everybody that doesn't know, Danny Meyer owns what? The, um, uh, the
2: Modern, Shake Shack, Rammercy Tavern, Blue Smoke. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a New King York Square restaurateur. Cafe again. Right, yeah. New he's, York
1: restaurateur who just, you know, owns he, a bunch of restaurants. He's the and most seen,
2: successful New York City restaurant.
1: And, and he is seen rest, as sort of like someone there. who looks— Everyone looks to Danny Meyer mm-hmm. as far as, you know, he, making franchises and, you he know. He
2: wrote a book called Setting the Table. It's one of the best business books you'll ever read. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's incredible, but but it, it, the t- the no tipping hasn't worked. It has not been working. His his whole thing, if I remember correctly, is minimum wage is going to continue to rise, mm-hmm. and um, minimum wage is going to get to a point where his prices are going to be astronomical. So you can't ask people to come spend all this money because w- with a restaurant you have manager salary, you have all the kitchen that's hourly, you have the servers that are slightly less than minimum wage, but now minimum wage is $10 for servers. Mm-hmm. Um, da, 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 da. Oh, you just rent, cost of food, cost of alcohol, spillage, breakage, all those things. You So you have super thin margins. So he eliminated tipping, and in doing that, he hopes that when minimum wage rises and rises and rises, he's ahead of it. Okay. And, Yeah. So I mean, he's still opening. He opened up two places this year
1: that are no tipping establishments. Uh, everything he everything opens opens that he opens is no, is no, no tip. tipping. And what was your experience working at a no tipping establishment as management? As management.
2: Um. So my staff liked it that they knew that they were just going to come to work and they knew what they were going to get paid. Right. Uh, service. You can go read the Sensacona kind of reviews. Everyone's like, I was really worried that the uh, the service was going to be lacking. It wasn't because mm-hmm. it's management still is on you to maintain a level of service. Yeah. Hard- I, I'm going to interrupt you for yeah. one
1: second because one of the interesting things that I came across mm-hmm. in, in doing all this research on tipping is that tipping generally has nothing to do no, with service. No, zero.
2: If you're a 15% tipper, you're a 15% tipper, yeah. and I know that, I hate my biggest thing. Well, and it's
1: if you, it's more about you being personable. Mm-hmm. If you are personable and you give horrible service... Your tip is going to be bigger than if you weren't personal. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you they were. I read some crazy studies. If you touch somebody on the shoulder, mm-hmm. you can expect three percent more, in or a dollar more on average, or whatever a it is. If you girl wear
2: red lipstick, you make more. Yeah, it's yeah. if
1: you kneel down and get to their level uh, when they're talking. T- like, it is. It, it's a I'm weird thing, but ever. there are studies show that 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 happens. If you yeah. introduce yourself and you make a connection to them. So yeah. anyway, like. S- tipping is, was supposed to be about service, but it's not it's really not, about service. It's about it's all, all these arbitrary things, including your gender, your, your mm-hmm. t- race, and whether or not you kneel down and look somebody in the eye and can relate to them. Yeah. Like So anyway, you were saying so the service didn't suffer. No,
2: nothing suffered, but the hardest part was finding good staff because you can't.
1: Because they were scared? Cause,
2: no, because why am I going to... Me, like me yeah. personally, I'm not going to go work for an hourly rate when I know I can make much more in New York City, right? I know the level of skill I have and the places I tell people I think I could work in almost any restaurant outside of like Lebanadan and like but outside of like high-end French cuisine, which I have nothing to do with mm-hmm. anything upscale casual, I can throw me in there like today Right, I'll, and I'll, you can yeah. and you can run with it, yeah huh.
1: And it, so I guess what you're saying is if you as a server or as a manager or anything, if you have all of these other options where you can make more money, then mm-hmm. why are you going to go to yeah. this? So it, it, there has to be a sea change, right? So, it can't just be like Danny Meyer doing this. It has to be every restaurant in the city. All the competition has well, to like get on board. what
2: I found was I was looking for good pe- I was interviewing people, mm-hmm. finding good people. And that maybe you haven't worked at like if you've worked at like Danielle, you would never work for Sensacana. Okay. If you worked at Masa, you're not going to work at Sensacana. So if
1: you worked for a really, really high-end yeah. place, you're not going to go work for, you know, mm-hmm. your your high-end casual place.
2: Yeah. Right. But if you were working at, like, some neighborhood spot in the Upper East Side or, like, uh, something like that, you will. Because the money's going to be comparable. It's going to look better on your resume, and you're going to learn more, and you can use Sensacana as a right. jumping point. So
1: no matter—I mean, that's what you're more interested in. I mean— you're not. Maybe it's a it's a lateral move as far as money goes, but you know it'll look better on your resume. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to get that high end talent. So I guess it all just depends on. It depends on the the restaurant. It depends on the person. It is and very hard want. to staff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess when you are when you're trying to be innovative, that's you know that's mm-hmm. why they call bleeding edge, right? Like and, you do, you just don't know if people are going to adopt it or not.
2: And then like bussers, uh, who make less, they could go make, they, they like a lot of bussers usually have family who work in restaurants and stuff and can get people in and this and that, and those guys can make a lot more than the hourly rate for bussers.
1: If they're... If they just... If, if it's a tipping establishment. Yeah, uh-huh. So if they're working at a non-tipping establishment, there's, I mean, it's set, they've got stability, mm-hmm. this is what they're making, but it's not going to be as high as... Mm-hmm. So it's so different across for, the spectrum for, for all people that work in yeah, restaurants.
2: for bussers, I was hiring people with no experience. Really? That, I was like, yeah, you've never... Okay, you could be a busboy.
1: Well, and there's, I I keep hearing about this, that we're at a time where finding labor in restaurants is really hard. No,
2: finding back of house. Back of house. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, like, is this, how does this affect that? Like, I feel like this makes it worse, right?
2: No, no, no. uh, because, actually, because tipping was removed and the check averages, there's more money coming into the restaurant now because prices are raised, obviously. Mm -hmm. They have more money to pay the kitchen. So that, that's like the other thing is you can afford to pay the kitchen more. Yeah. I, I,
1: it's, it's amazing to me that, that like this is this dirty underbelly of hospitality that not a lot of people know about unless you've been – obviously, if your life depends on it and your, you know, your, your salary depends on it, then you know about this inside and out. But, I mean, most people that go to a restaurant don't realize um, how little people get paid, how arbitrary tipping is, how you never know what you're going to be coming home with. At the I, end of the day,
2: I had uh, recently at a table, good good table, seven people, about hundred dollars, over hundred dollars a person, mm-hmm. business dinner, business lunch, and din- yeah, early dinner, and they give it to the youngest kid to tip, and he left hundred dollars, he left what? about ten percent. Uh, a little bit over. 10%. Wait, what do you mean they
1: give it to the.? They,
2: like the, ki- the youngest kid there was the one that they gave the check to to pay.
1: Oh, so it was a client situation, and that kid, whoever it was, that, that mm-hmm. young man was the one who was responsible for paying, yeah. and he did not tip he, properly. No.
2: Yeah. And um, I told my manager, and my manager went up to uh, one of the older gentlemen after they were leaving, and he was, he like he let him know without letting him know. And so next time, he's like, did you have a good time? Was everything good? He's like, yeah, it was great. We hope to see you back. Oh, we want to be back. He's like, good. um, Hopefully my staff will be taken care of. (laughs) Like, jeez. Yeah, I was, I was like really, really angry. There was one
1: point, I I forget what happened. Like it was a a complete and total mistake on my part. Like I, I miscalculated the tip. Maybe I had a couple of drinks and I didn't like, and there was something, maybe I, I forgot to leave a tip or something. I don't know. But I remember them running out on the street saying, was everything okay? And I was like, oh, yeah, everything was great. And they were like, oh, because you didn't leave a tip. And I was like, "That that's a good way to approach that. Yeah. Like, was everything okay? Mm-hmm. Like, we want to make sure that you were okay. Um, like, I don't know, man. Go into, go into the older guy at the uh, – you might have cost that guy that kid some uh, I you know, contract. I, I, I don't care. I know you don't care. I
2: don't care. I know. It's a life lesson for him to tip better. No, I, I agree
1: with you. I agree with you. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, I mean, um,
2: this, this, well, I could talk about this for the entire hour. So I we know should
1: stop we should do now. this as a, as a podcast. Uh, this, I mean, we all of a sudden turned into the socioeconomic hospitality radio hour. But, <laughs> but it's an important, it's an important subject, and I think that little video that was out on, you know, I, that was all over Twitter. He has a
2: very punchable face. <laughs>
1: For, I, I think every server in America was agreeing with you at that point. Um, but yeah, no, so it was something that people were talking about a lot, and and I'm glad that we talked about it. So Anyway, um, come back with us. We're going to take a break, and we're not going to talk about this depressing
2: stuff anymore. DM uh, us if you have any questions about tipping, if you think you tip good, or if you don't. Uh, At Not a Foodie Show.
1: Yes, at Not a Foodie Show, Twitter, Instagram, and tip 20% or more. I mean, just do it. Just tip 20%. Yeah, that's it. All right, we'll be back in a minute.
2: Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media
1: Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture.
2: It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities.
1: If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn.
2: Right next to the G train. Brooklyn's most
1: convenient studio. And we're back with the Not A Foodie and Show on Radio Ramp 620 AM at Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. Mike! yeah, Someone came into our studio Yeah, and they've got uh, they've got presents. Showed up.
2: (laughs) Want Uh, to set it up? Yeah, um, uh, what two years ago now? When we opened Sen even more, I think. Yeah, Uh, it's crazy. Like two years ago, Zach and I uh, opened up Mm Sensicana with a couple other people. Zach is the beverage director there, and he's uh, probably one of the five most knowledgeable sake people in New York City. Ooh. All right, cool. All right. I am probably one of the five least sake knowledgeable <laughs> and people. And I'd new. say I'm probably top twenty sake person in the city. I yeah? don't
0: know. I don't know, but I, I appreciate it. <laughs> no, me personally. Oh, <laughs> I, I'd say I'm
2: like top twenty. <laughs> yeah. I've drank a lot of really good sake.
1: I've drank a lot of sake, but uh not really good sake. Like I I like it, I go out and you know, when I go for Japanese food I'll I'll have it. Or I'll have it in a cocktail, but like I'm not a I I I can tell you different types yeah. of sake but I can't tell you brands or anything Probably like that. Probably drinking right. a Dasai 50. Sure, whatever yeah. you say.
0: Right, and that's kind of the reason, you know, we'll get into it, but that's kind of the reason we started uh, Soto Sake was your your exact thing. I can't tell you any brands. Really? Um and that was that was kind of our our launching thing was, you know, there's so many sakes and and people are actually really getting into sake, but you go to a restaurant, and nine times out of ten, you can't remember a brand. Maybe you say, "Oh, I had this blue bottle, or this brown bottle, or this green bottle." Um, do you have that? <laughs> and the sommelier or, or the server has to kind of rack their brain for, you know, to find that. Right.
1: So you 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 were the beverage director. Or you still are the beverage director at at uh, Sensakana, Sen- right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so I still
0: consult for Sensakana, that's okay. right.
1: And then you, the, Soto is a company that you've been involved with that you've been involved with from launch? From or? the
0: launch, yeah. So we launched about four years ago. Um, I tried the sake before it was even in this packaging that you guys are seeing, mm-hmm. viewers are not seeing, but, um, <laughs> and and it was really great. I mean, the, the whole premise behind launching the brand down to the taste, down to everything about it, down to the people that we were working with, just made sense, made sense for the time period, uh, the time that we were launching. And uh, it's been a really great experience. So it's been about four years now. We have some new stuff on the horizon coming cool. this year. Yeah. Nice. Well, where, where is it made? So it's made in Niigata. So Niigata is a very famous region for making sake. So it's Northwest Japan. Right. So Hokkaido is the island above Japan. So this would be kind of like, if you're thinking San Francisco, um so it's yeah, that, that yeah. northwest coast. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, typical things about Niigata, really soft water. Um, the rice there is is wonderful and it's cold pretty much year round. There's snow on the ground well, know, and pretty I much think all the time. Let's let's go back a little bit. I mean, sure.
1: uh, sake, what is what is sake? How I do mean, you make sake? How do you make sake?
0: Yeah, so uh, sake is a brewed beverage, right. so it's like beer. So yeah, so yeah, it's okay. similar to beer. In it's not that distilled. Way. It's, it's not, not distilled. So it's not a liquor. It's not. Right.
1: Uh, is it? I mean, is it closer to a beer than or a wine? Yeah, or? it's
0: so it's kind of like in between that beer and wine stage. So it's it's made like a beer. So it's um, but but you drink it like wine. So, you're okay. not supposed to be shooting it back, um, you know, contrary to. Or doing bombs. Right, or doing bombs. I, right, doing bombs. I mean, that is, it is still fun. You yeah, have done lots of I've shots. I've done
2: of soda. many a shot of soda. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's a brewed beverage. Um, you know, there, there's four really main ingredients which is rice, water, uh, koji, and. Um, what am I leaving out? <laughs> oh, I don't <laughs> know, but, but I'm a koji,
1: like, I'm a koji fan. Are and you? I'm like, yeah, I've. Oh, I, uh, I so yeast, doing... I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeast. Yeah, yeah. you got to have that's yeast, mo- right? Well, and koji, isn't koji... Um, so koji is
0: like a healthy mold. Yeah. And that's what you'll sprinkle on, um, you know, the rice and everything to get it started. Um, usually, I tell people to leave that out when they're talking to their guest because when you hear mold, you don't think, right. you don't think good. Um, but yeah, so those are the basic ingredients. Um, some sakes will have a little distilled alcohol added to it. Um, for a few reasons, one to up the percentage of alcohol if it comes in kind mm-hmm. of
1: low, just like a neutral spirit, yeah, like, just yeah. a
0: neutral grain spirit. So do, um,
1: you don't do you distill the sake to get that? There's alcohol? no distilling. It's no, all No, well, no, yeah, but I'm saying brewing. like if do, like if you wanted to make a brandy, you distill wine that's been made. Like so. Right. It, to get the neutral spirit, do people distill sake? So, any at all? sort,
0: yeah. So, that could be, you know, distilling rice, um, really okay. any grain, any neutral grain that is available right. and, you know, inexpensive.
2: It's like a very small amount. It's though. a super it's not, small amount. I mean, it's yeah. less than 10%. Okay.
0: Um, and, and again, so that's, that would be a sake that doesn't have the word Junmai. Okay. So, we can get into classifications if you Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah that, would be, that would be a sake that doesn't have the word Junmai, which means pure, uh, loosely means pure. And, um, and yeah, like I said, that, that'll either up the alcohol percentage a little bit. It'll enable them to make more. But it also can affect the flavor profile, too. So there's, mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing. There's wonderful sakes that have a little distilled alcohol in it.
2: So when it has alcohol mm-hmm. and when it's uh, the, lo- the lowest quality, quote, unquote, it's called honjozo, Yeah, And Honjozo is the most popular sake drink in Japan. Is that the sweet, cloudy no, no, one? No, the, no, no. No, that's the yeah, Nagori, Okay. Honjozo, it's just it's uh they polish less of the rice, so there's more impurities, mm-hmm. and they add a little bit of booze in it to get it up. Okay. And uh, it's the most popular. Whenever I go to like a sake tasting, and there's a whole uh, portfolio of sake, I always try their Honjozo first. Because if you have a good Honjozo, everything else you're doing is gonna be pretty good. All right. Cool.
0: Right, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like looking that. over. At no, Zach, no, I, like, like you're, you're the expert. You tell I like me if that for sure. I, I mean, don't know if he's full of it or not half the time. So, <laughs> no, that's good. That
2: sounds good. You miss it. We just <laughs> talked about tipping for 20 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I missed it.
1: <laughs> so, um, so Soto, what what kind of uh, is, do you have a, a number of different types of sake that you make under the Soto brand, or is it just the one kind? So
0: right one? now we have the one kind. We are working on our next product. So right now we have a Junmai Daiginjo. So junmai it kind of means two things. So it means that it's pure. Um, when it's in front of something, it also so when it's in front of something, the second word will tell you what the polishing rate is. Okay. So junmai means pure. Daiginjo refers to at least fifty percent of the rice has been removed. So what you're doing is you're polishing the outer layers of the rice, removing the fats and the proteins, getting right to the center where the starch is.
1: Okay. Daigen- so those
0: tend to be a little bit more delicate. Uh, some grapefruit notes will come out. Um, They tend to be regarded as the best. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I mean, it is the pinnacle of making sake because it is really delicate. It's the
2: highest classification. Right, the highest classification. But that doesn't mean it's the best. Right.
0: Sure, there's wonderful sakes in all sorts of different categories. Uh, When junmai is by itself and there's nothing after it, that means that it's pure and uh, at least 30% of the rice has been removed. With seventy percent remaining, so those okay. tend to have a little bit more savory qualities. They tend to they can have mushroom notes, um, things things of that. But they're nature. all made. Are they all made from the same type of rice? No. So there's many different types okay. of rice. Um, Yamada Nishiki is probably regarded as the highest, uh, and then it goes all. And all uh, down is
1: it is the rice? Is it terroir? Like is it? yeah, is yeah it definitely, yeah.
0: definitely, absolutely. I mean, there's the water definitely, quality. Yeah, and there's de- there's definitely a sense of place. Um, now now you're seeing rice being shipped from one area where it grows to other areas um, to make it. But yeah, there's mm. definitely a sense of place. Niigata has a very, which is where our sake is from, has a very, very distinct quality. They tend to be really soft, really clean, but still have a bit of a backbone in terms of umami, okay. even when they're super delicate.
2: Zach, What Zach showed me about uh, sake lists was you can find the best steels by just buying junmai. You can go grab a sixty or seventy dollar junmai, mm-hmm. and it's going to be some of the best sake you're ever going to have, just because of the the pure the quality of it. Okay, yeah, so that's uh, that's my little tip and trick is don't don't worry about the uh, ginjo the Dai Ginjo, just the having the junmai is more than junmai is
0: yeah yeah okay. absolutely
1: great. Well, I I I only drink sake when or sake sake whatever I don't know okay <laughs> I drink sake um usually when i'm having japanese food i mean right. but it's something that uh, you know it's it's very popular like i when i traveled around japan i mean i was drinking it like all the time yeah um that and soju like in more towards southern japan you know sure. more more towards the korean side over there right um but uh it, it like when you when you're drinking sake like what do you pair it with like you pair it with like a barbecue or anything like that? Sure. I mean, it...
0: so so that's the thing is, so you know, a goal f- the goal for us really was let's create something super traditional with a little bit of a modern packaging. We you know, we were noticing, you know, as a sommelier working the floor in different Japanese restaurants, I was noticing that people, you know, had a hard time ordering sake or re- at least remembering what they what they had. So we started with that, and then really what we wanted to do is we wanted to introduce sake To a broader audience, so obviously Japanese restaurants—that's the low-hanging fruit, right? You know, of course it goes with sushi, of course it goes with Japanese cuisine. But where else does it go? So it actually goes really well with pizza. Ooh, you know, it goes amazing with burgers. I mean,
1: what doesn't go well with pizza? Right, or burgers?
0: (laughs) Burgers, yeah. I mean, you know, it really the the fact that there's so many different. Flavors and varieties of sake really means that it can be paired with just about anything. Mm -hmm. It's also really beautiful in cocktails as well I think you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, yeah. you know um, We're we're kind of gearing more towards health and wellness Um, You know younger populations if you're reading or younger people if you're reading about it They're drinking less and less yeah
1: lower ABV yeah lower ABV
0: drinking less so we're starting to see a lot of people wanting to make sake cocktails because they're delicious and you know they, they are lower in that alcohol yeah. percentage. Well, you wake I see up a lot of it. Better.
1: I see a lot of it at places that don't have their full yeah, liquor if you license, can't get and
0: that too. License. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it's a great way to introduce. I mean, the sake tini, sake the sake like bloody that. mary, right, right, right. Yeah, things of that nature. So yeah, so there's so I'm seeing sake everywhere. I mean, um, what's the name of the restaurant that is next to Oya? You know what I'm talking about?
2: Um, the wine bar, right?
0: Well, so there's. I, a, I
2: can picture that street. Yeah,
0: me too. And sorry, I, for, I forget the name it's off the acro- top of my head. It's across the street but, from but Blue they serve, Smoke. They like. serve pizza. They do great sake pairings with pizza. Really? Um,
1: and it's not a Japanese? It's not a
0: Japanese restaurant. Catch in the meatpacking. Yeah. Um, they they have sake on their menu. They do sake cocktails as well. Miss Miss Lily's has our sake in a couple of cocktails, which is Jamaican cuisine. Yeah. Which oh, is cool. really awesome. Um, Modern Love in Brooklyn, uh, which is Very not, too, cool. not too far from here vegetarian place
1: yeah is it uh, so are there's such a disparity in um, uh, Not not disparity, but there there are just so many different types of flavor profiles for mm. Saki um, How do you from a marketing standpoint like how do you combat that how do you say look like? sake should be simple and sake should be fun and here it is you don't have to get super nerdy about sake, but by the way Saki is also super nerdy and there's a lot of Different, right, You know, there's a well, lot of different levels of
0: Yeah, it. so I mean, I always tell people that I'm, I'm more of in the education business than the sake business. The sake business is kind of, you know, a second tier to that. Right. Because I'm really introducing, you know, sake to people for kind of, a lot of times for the first time. You know, I do a lot of tastings where people will come up to me and have our sake and say, I've never had sake before, or I've only had hot sake and had bad experiences. So I think really... Oh my god, I forgot about hot sake. Right. It was like, <laughs> yeah, that was... In so my, there's My wonder... first
1: sushi experience
2: was, you know, right. going to a place with hot sake. So there's yeah.
0: wonderful hot sake, but a lot of the times in America, you're dealing with just boxed yeah. sake.
2: In Japan, they make certain sake that's meant to be served hot. They make certain sake that's meant to be served on ice. Yeah. But like usually, especially like 90s, early 2000s, when you would go to a sushi place and just get hot sake, it was just the cheapest sake that yeah. they would heat up so you can right. taste how bad it was. I remember
1: going out, we would, like before we went out to a bar or something, we'd hit someone, in the wintertime, we'd have a thermos filled with hot sake. <laughs> nice. nice. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> was... That's awesome. Yeah, it was um, my 20s.
0: <laughs> but yeah, to make it more simple, I think, you know, the there's a couple of categories that are really important to know, and that kind of makes it simple. So the Junmai that we talked about with with 30% removed rice, um that's that's an important one the junmai ginjo or the ginjo mm-hmm. that's 40% of the rice removed and then the dai ginjo which we talked about is at least 50% of the rice removed if you know those three classifications that really kind of can start your journey and then if you really want to get nerdy about it just like anything wine or beer or or spirits then you then you can and you can you know there's a lot of great resources for that right. but those basic those basic things i think can can take you on you know a long Beautiful journey.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's that's valuable information for me. Right. Like it's, sake is one of those things where I know good sake when I taste it. I know bad sake when I taste it. I couldn't tell you how to pick out a good sake
0: versus yeah. a bad sake. And, but, and starting from, you know, the, the junmai will have more savory qualities. The ginja will start to lighten up a little bit, and then the daiginjo will be the most delicate. So then you if you have that basis, you know, then you're you, you can really order.
2: Before we hired Zach, I put together a small sake list, mm-hmm. and I knew nothing about sake. I was just having these reps come and give me stuff, and I was just like trusting my palate and being like, "I know what tastes good and what doesn't and they taught me a little bit about all those classifications and whatnot but um it really it's super cool to see sake becoming coming real into its own, really, okay, and I feel like now more than ever uh the the amount of sake, the amount of skews coming in is really—it's a really good time. We uh, we had one with what was it? sunflower seeds. Was it uh, sunflower yeast? Sunflower yeast, yeah. So like you're seeing also brewers get a little less traditional and right. doing and using the different. Well, now there's a
0: brewery in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, Ru- well, Russell. Yeah.
2: Rus- That's how I met Russell.
0: Well, Russell does the the soju stuff, but yeah. before
2: that, he was he, doing sake. He was doing sake. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, it, you know, only, really only 30% of sake from Japan makes it to America, but we're seeing more and more be imported. The more that, you know, people are getting interested in it, these wine distributors are starting to, uh, to really get into it and bring it over. So it's a, it's a great time for sake. I think we were lucky to get in at, a, at a, you know opportune time <laughs> as well. Right. And uh, I'm, you know, excited about what's to come. Perfect.
2: That's, Very cool. So let's open this bottle. Let's take a break. Let's open this bottle of soto that you brought. And uh, we'll talk about it. You could give us a Soto 101. Sure. Awesome. Back Great. after this.
1: Yeah, this is the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM. We'll be back in a minute. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful
2: Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio.
1: The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not a Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture.
2: It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If
1: you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right next to the G train. Brooklyn's most convenient studio.
2: And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to the Not A Foodie Show, Radio Rampa, 620 AM. It's Mike Moranti with Tom Miali, my co-host, and joining us for our, our last segment today, Zach Gross. Hey, Zach.
0: Hey, guys. So,
2: Zach brought a bottle of Soto Sake.
0: Daddy. Zach,
1: first of all, thank you for continuing the, tra- the time-honored tradition of bringing alcohol to oh, the Not absolutely. A
0: Foodie Show.
2: <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. What so, do you got there? So, uh, we have Soto Sake, a G- P- super premium Junmai Daigin Joe Tom and Zach both poured their themselves glasses already So I'm gonna pour some Mike is like the ASMR guy, so I want to hear
1: uh, that's you can't really hear that. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of that. curious that's, you got to get that to the mic
0: kind of curious to hear your guys' thoughts on What you're tasting Mike's had it a million times. Uh, yeah, I've had
2: soda more than I've had any let's, other liquid Let's,
0: let's come, pie.
1: <laughs>
2: come pie come pie pie
1: that's one of the things that I learned from Japan. I think I know like maybe a, a few phrases in Japanese. That there's that there's um futatsu biru. Mm. um that's that two beers. Give me two beers. Um and that's about it. Hi hi is hi. a good one. Hi, hi is fun. Hi yeah. is a good hi one. hi is like just yeah it's help. infectious. Everybody Each just says
2: san shi go. That's, five. that's How they count. And
1: oos. <laughs> so so I just I just had a
2: sip of this. I love this. This is Thank great. It's great salinity.
1: Yeah. It's so that's exactly what I was going to say. It's got so it it feels um it feels like it's it's got a little heft to it and it has that not salty but that you know pure sort of salinity to it. Sure.
2: It has a lot of umami, a lot of mushroom going on. Uh it's super smooth.
1: Yeah. I mean, the umami definitely. It's not as sweet as I were yep. would were was expecting it. It's not um not as citrusy. I'm almost getting like a a little bit of a coconutty sort of thing on the on the yeah. Back so
0: everyone end. gets something different for sure. I mean, I think uh, uh, most people get melon. I don't know if you guys are tasting melon on there. Mm-hmm. Green melon, honeydew, mm-hmm. pear. Um, I don't necessarily get much mushroom, but definitely a little bit of umami, and that's kind of that nigata characteristic where even delicate sake still have that kind of that mouth feel to it. For me, it's super soft and clean. Like you said, it's not sweet. It's dry, but it's not so dry that you're you know need to reach for a glass of water. Yeah. No, and but it, it's- um, Super refreshing. It really
1: is super refreshing, and it's, I do, th- so I do get the umami, but I also get the, when you
2: said honeydew, I mean, yeah. that was that was it right there. So it's definitely that green melon. Imagine you're eating, like, a Pat Lafrida cheeseburger, perfect <laughs> medium, medium rare. Yep. Crushes
0: it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that works. I like Even to order a, a thing of Shake Shack and crack open a bottle of soda. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: Sixty dollars Shake Shack order. Right, like exactly. Five double burgers. Am I allowed
0: like, to say uh, people's restaurants on here? Yeah, sure, why not?
2: <laughs> uh, we the the rule of thumb is like if we talk bad about a place, we don't say it. There you go. But if we talk good about a place, unless they're really bad, and then we call them out. Well, right. I mean,
1: Mike has already blown up a bunch of sponsors that we potential sponsors. <laughs> like
2: you know how I feel about Fernet. I yeah, hear you.
1: Yeah, Fernet f- is never going to be a sponsor of this show because Mike just trashes it every. And I am the complete opposite. I love it. I love their it sponsorship serves its purpose.
0: Money. <laughs> it definitely serves <laughs> its purpose. Yes. So yeah. So Soto. I mean, you know, we're, we're dealing with a gluten-free product, no preservatives, no additives. I mean, it's it's really just those f- four ingredients I was telling you guys about earlier: um, the rice water, koji and yeast. And so what's great about that is, you know, it's full of amino acids. It's basically a natural wine. Are you it, saying it's if good you for me? Think about it, I can't give you that <laughs> claim. But if your viewers could see me with my with the quote ears yes, going yeah, on, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds good for like it. it's <laughs> good for me. <laughs> I urge you to to put it to the test and drink as much as possible and see how you feel in the morning. Well, if I, I only mean, we,
2: drink soda and stop drinking water, I think I'll be okay. Well, we I were think so we too. were talking
1: earlier about MSG and we were talking about how MSG was invented in Japan and it's basically it's it's salt and amino acids to give you that umami and you, I mean that's you're getting that you're getting that those sort of right. tones of you know the good tones of MSG not the you know villainization of MSG yeah. that has been <laughs> going on in right. in this country for years, but like you're getting that really good sort of depth of flavor with this. That's exactly I mean, right. I, I love Koji. I, I use Koji rice to, um, to dry-age steaks. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's like, you, you get that mushroomy, sort of earthy umami sure. on the steak. Well, and
0: you're starting to see, you know, different aspects of sake show up in skincare products. Um, there's a whole health and wellness thing with sake products. I mean, someone told me a story about, you know, a skincare product that was launched using, I think, I think it was Koji, or it was something of that ilk. And they noticed that when they would visit breweries in Japan, these really old tojis, which is, a, which is a Japanese brewmaster, they were, you know, 60s, 70s, 80 years old, but their hands were still so soft. And that was, you know, they, they thought maybe that's because their hands are, you know, in sake all the time. Sake, wow. rice.
2: We We didn't touch on it before, and I want to before our time's up. Mm. Sake is also very shelf-stable after you open it. That's right. Much more than wine or beer. Um, really yeah.
0: yeah yeah you open it and you put it in the fridge I mean you're gonna get I say a week but you usually can get a little bit more out of it As I always like
2: two or three days from a bottle of white wine
0: right right and it's not gonna go bad it's just gonna lose a little bit of its you know its its beauty um, it make, yeah
2: it makes uh by the glass sake programs way more accessible absolutely
0: hmm. absolutely yeah well I, and this
1: is so I don't want to I, I have no idea what you know you retail that for but it's also like what What's a acceptable amount of sake like what's a serving of sake like you have there's a small bottle there How many what's it's a half? half bottle so this
0: a is a half bottle. bottle this comes in at 300 milliliters? Um, uh, larger bottles tend to be 720 right there are a couple companies okay. that that do the wine size and then you know They go up to 1.8 liters, so I tend to see sake pours at a restaurant around three and a half to four ounces mm-hmm. um, not quite as as large as a full wine glass um,
2: Wine is between five and six ounces.
0: Yeah, right. so that's I, I, what I tend to see sake kind of come in, and yeah,
1: cool, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's really delicious, and I would absolutely pair it with you know with something. I, but I would also I. I really like it just straight up. I mean, I, think it's, it is, I yeah. think it's really good. Straight no chaser. Straight right. no chaser. Just throw, and a,
0: throw, throw a straw in this little bottle yeah, and right? <laughs> you're good to go. <laughs> and chilled,
1: right? Like this is, how is this, what's, what temperature this is this supposed to be?
0: Yeah, so the Dai Ginjos in general, and especially ours, I tend to tell people to serve it kind of like a white wine, kind of like a burgundy. So um, around degrees. 55 even. Oh, you know. okay, Yeah. So like right out of the right out of the fridge, just leave it out and it's good to go. Too cold and that alcohol starts to rear its head a little bit more. Um, So anywhere between that cold to room temperature is perfect.
1: Cool. Well, I I mean, Zach, thanks for first of all for bringing it, and second for the education, which is just as valuable as the alcohol that you're yeah. providing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely. I think we I think we ran out of time. Yeah. I mean, we
2: were going to do, like, what are you drinking tonight? But now I'm no going to drink some Soto Sake. You're drinking Soto tonight. <laughs> yeah, right? Zach, drop um, some social media stuff.
0: Sure. So Soto Sake, just at Soto Sake, S-O-T-O-S-A-K-E. You can follow me. Um, tons of ridiculous bottles of wine and sake going through the Instagram. So that's Tokabetsu, Zach Gross, T O K. U-B-E-T-S-U-Z-A-K-G-R-O-S-S. Just type in Zach Gross and the, the rest will follow. Awesome. <laughs> right, right, thanks, great. guys.
1: Well, thanks for coming on. Um, that's that's all the time we have. So
2: I am Tom Miali, at T-M-I-A-L-E. At Mike Miranti, M-I-K-E-M-I-R-A-N-T-I, and at Not a Foodie Show. At Not a Foodie Show on Twitter and on Instagram and DM us because we're, We're
1: lonely. lonely people, and we want to hear from you. And that is all. We'll talk to you next week. Catch you next week. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from The Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation, or for more information, email info at That's info at notafoodie.com.